This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Today's talk is case number 54 from the Blue Cliff Record, Unman Stretches His Arms. Unman asked a monastic, where have you come from? The monastic said, from Sezan. Uman said, what words does Sezan say lately? The monastic stretched out his arms. Uman slapped him. The monastic said, I had something to say about it. Uman then stretched out his own arms. The monastic remained silent. Then Uman hit him. So what the heck is going on here? <laughs> we have many a number of new people here, and I'm sure this is. Um, but koans are not interesting or incomprehensible puzzles to be solved or understood or contemplated from a rational and ongoing way of understanding them. This is something going on here. Koans are, are a window into the entire universe, an expression into your entire being. And as I'm speaking, I'm going to ask you to make eye contact with me so I have a sense if we're communicating at all <laughs> here. And each koan presents a different perspective of our being. Each perspective is its own unique view of what makes you up beyond our thinking beyond our ideas about who we are, who each of us is. And those ideas are always found and bound up within our thoughts. So to see into a koan is to see into the fundamental aspect of your being, the fundamental aspect, beyond the ideas of who we might think we are, who we might think others are, beyond our set sense of checkboxes about ourselves, our gender, our nationality, our race, our preferences, our ways of being, our cultural assumptions, which are deep and profound and wrap us up in a tightly woven ball that makes it very difficult to see past. And there are implications to how we see all of this, each of these aspects of ourself and others. Each koan follows a universal path to realization, to awakening. That path is you yourself. So please do not look outside your own body and mind for answers here. Please take in what is being said. There was an introduction to the talk which asked you to just listen. The emphasis is on the jest. And it doesn't mean you won't have thoughts and judgments arise and questions. Just let them be. And just take in what's being said and let it inform you on a level that you may know nothing about. Or you may relate to it in some ways. And that, all of that is fine. But trust the process of hearing the talk and taking it in.
And yet at the same time, Zen, this practice of awakening, is not ultimately about koans or any other specific aspect of practice. It's about liberation. It's about seeing into your true nature, into who you truly are. And I, when I say you, I mean you. So this talk is for you. Koans directly point out our realization. It's showing it up. It's holding it up to the light. And in realizing a koan for ourself, we're seeing something that does not lend itself to analysis or ownership. It's not a brick that fits into a wall of our reference system among many other bricks. It's not like that. And so this is impossible to understand. And yet there is comprehension. There is... (coughs) Excuse me. There is wisdom. And somehow it connects with us in a way that we can't know and yet do recognize that there is wisdom. So in this, and in many koans, there seem to be words and gestures that we can easily recognize. Oh, is that so? In recognizing these words of the koan, or speaking them, or doing the gestures, are you awakened? If I repeat these words, or I do these gestures, or I hit someone, or I'm hit by somebody, am I awake? Probably not. So what do these words and gestures allude to? Is the answer more words, more gestures? You know, there's a saying in Zen practice that when a person of realization speaks a word, it's a true word. When a person of delusion speaks a word, it's a false word. Same word. How is that true? What makes that true? These words and gestures that we can recognize within the koan point to the secret of Zen, that no Zen teacher, not even the Buddha, will ever reveal. Only you can reveal it. That's at the heart of this practice. This practice is completely about you and your own realization. It completely arises from what the Buddha said upon his own realization. Basically, from the beginning, all beings are Buddha. From the beginning, all beings are realized. That is our ground of being. Now, we have not necessarily seen that for ourselves. But if you practice this, to one degree or another, commensurate with your karma, with your desire to realize it, you will realize that. And you will manifest that to one degree or another. Each of us has our own karma, our own life, our own place within this world and our own energy and circumstance. And so each of us can decide for ourselves how much we want to devote of our life specifically to this realization, which doesn't mean sacrificing any other part of your life. It means turning your life towards this realization so that however you live, in whatever the specifics that each of us live, each which is different for each of us. We can awaken within those specifics, not separate from those specifics. 
I've practiced as a lay practitioner for many years. Then I practiced as a monastic for many years. And now I'm practicing again as a lay practitioner. And so I can speak from that there's no special platform to realization. It's you. No one else. So, in this glimpse into our being, a monastic is visiting Unman, a great master, an iconic master. He was born in 864 in China and later took the name of Mount Yunmen, or Uman, depending on which language you're operating in. So he took the name of the mountain at which he built his monastery. And there's a context of Uman's practice and teaching. What is the true self? Who are you really? Unman invites us to ask ourselves this and to seek this for ourselves. Not the I of illusion, not the I we've created to protect ourselves from pain, to keep at a distance anything which seems to threaten our structure of ourself. Not the I rooted in dualisms and transitory objects, but our real being, which then manifests in dualism and transitory objects. It has to manifest. It's the only way. It can be, but those dualisms and transitory objects are seen through, completely seen through. In the introduction to this case, it says, penetrating beyond birth and death, setting devices to work, casually shearing iron and cutting nails, everywhere covering heaven and earth. Whose practice is this? Penetrating beyond birth and death beyond any duality of this or that, casually shearing iron and cutting nails, taking away whatever understanding we have. That's always a nest to settle in. So think of your current understanding now and what you know and what you lodge in and what you create as yourself. And there's nothing wrong with creating a self. We have to have a self. But do we think that's the whole package? Do we rely on that to preserve us from suffering instead of understanding that the more we dedicate to that structure of self as a separate self from other beings, other things, the more suffering we create in ourself and in others. And again, it doesn't mean there isn't a self. It doesn't mean that this being doesn't function and live in this relative world. So casually shearing iron and cutting nails. Speaking of Uman, but he's inviting us to see it for ourselves. Whose practice is this? That's the essential inquiry in Zen. Whose pra- what is this about? Well, the good news is it's about you. The bad news is it has nothing to do with you. Whose life is this? Whose life are you living? Is your life yours? Or have you bought a jar of dirt, mistaking it for gold, and staking your whole life on this jar of dirt? So Uman asked a monk, where have you come from? Not a casual question. The footnote says, don't say Cezanne. Don't do that. Don't say east, west, north, or south, the monk says, from Cezanne. Cezanne is a 
another place and another teacher. Has not a, it's not a comment on that teacher. So what about this answer? This is either an enlightened answer or very, very naive. It's hard to tell. What's going on here? Why the question? This is the teacher's primary focus. What I want to know is what is the student's understanding? That's what I want to know. Why? Because I want the student to be able to awaken. How can I work with this student? How can I work with them in a manner that helps them? Working from where they are, yet stretching them to encourage a deeper, clearer understanding. So in order to help them in that way, I need to know what their understanding is. That's my job. That's the job my teacher gave me when he transmitted the Dharma to me. So from the first time a student meets his teacher, the teacher wants to know. Wants to know, what does the student want? What, is, what do you want? What's your aspiration? What motivates that? What's underneath that? What is their sensitivity and awareness to their own mind of their delusions? To their own mind of their self? I've told a couple of these stories before, but they're contextual here, so I'll say them again. I have a, a contemporary uh, teacher uh, who I trained with for many years in a different lineage, and he received transmission. And in that particular lineage, which is not this lineage, um, after you receive transmission, you, you go off and you visit other teachers, particular other teachers who are respected and honored. And so he went to a, a teacher, this particular teacher was Japanese, in Japan, um, who invited him in for tea. The meeting was all arranged. He was going to stay at that temple. And he asked him, where have you come from? And he said, oh, I came from America, from so-and-so. And teachers said yes, and they went on, and, 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 and later he walked in and he go, oh, I blew that. <laughs> I was completely asleep. Now, that's not the only thing a teacher will go by in assessing someone visiting um, but that's definitely a strike one. <laughs> um, sometimes the probing is more subtle and doesn't necessarily happen on the first visit. When I first visited Daito Roshi, I had practiced a while. I was a very senior student in a different lineage, and I had some junior teaching authority. And uh, I came in to check him out because I was at the end of that the teaching in that lineage, and I wanted to go further. And um, I had been following his career, and um, he was still relatively new in teaching and setting up Zen Mountain Monastery in the MRO. And I wanted to check him out. Of course, he was checking me out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, I initially visited with him, and there's some stories there that I'm not going to repeat that shook me to my core. And um, then I went to Sashin with him a bit later. And um, I was curious as to what would happen. And uh, very alert. And, very, and he went to Doksan with him. And he said, okay, where do you want to start? Pick a, ko- pick a koan. Pick any koan. <laughs> and we'll start. So I picked a koan. And he worked with me on 
And he asked me question after question about that session in the court, about that Cohen in the course of the session. Same Cohen, just stayed with it. And at the end of the session, he found where my insight didn't go. And now this is the last Oak son of the session, and we should conclude this in a happy way, right? No. He left me hanging. I had made, you know, I came to investigate him. I had made no commitment to him. And he let it be. And off I went. Of course, he had me completely hooked. So Uman says, what words does Cezanne say lately? What is Cezanne's teaching? Suppose those of you who've practiced a while in this order, you were asked, what is Shugen Roshi's teaching? What is Hojin Sensei's teaching? What's the Buddha's teaching? How would you respond? Which brings to mind another story, true story, where Daito Roshi was leading what we now call Dharma Encounter, which happens at the end of Ango Sessions. And in those days, we called it Dharma Combat, which is its traditional way of understanding it. Um, and the, the, it's public, and the teacher gets up and offers a, a topic to explore and some questions to answer, to explore. And students, participants in the Yango, the three-month training program, uh, non-residential and residential, are invited to come up one at a time. And it's kind of an open doksan, daisan. You get to see a senior student come up and, you know, work with the teacher or a beginner come up and work with the teacher directly, face-to-face, and everybody, it's all public. And in the midst of that, a, there was a visiting Japanese uh, Zen teacher who was in the audience. Didn't speak English, but had his translator there. And in the midst of that, he suddenly jumps up, and only people who are online are supposed to uh, offer something. And, uh, and everyone goes, oh, 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 you're not, you know, you're not online, can you do that? And Daito Rush says, fine, let him, please invite him. And so he said, what is your teaching? Translate. And Daito Roshi, without any hesitation, said, it's the same as your teaching. Now, is that a good answer? What do you think? How that teaching manifests is always within a particular teacher's persona. Their experience, the time, the place. And this koan's a good example of that. The overall circumstances. And also the student before them, the practitioner before them. The, the purpose of Zen practice is, is cutting us down to the bare essentials. Seeing that for ourselves, And then coming forth from that. Coming forth from an enlightened perspective. And I say the bare essentials because that is the enlightened perspective. That's already present in you. And in that sense, Zen practice, nor any spiritual practice, doesn't give you anything. It can't give you anything. You've already got the whole package. That's the essence of the realization. That's the essence of the compassion that comes out of the realization. The genuineness that you will see manifested in more senior students and more senior monastics. You get it. And that's the purpose. And it's the purpose, and it's what human is doing, is presenting their teachings 
And in that time, in a very direct and uncompromising manner, and I say that because one of the things I struggle with as a teacher is my natural personality is to go right to the heart of it. It's where I come from and where I am, but that doesn't always fit where people come from. So I learned as a teacher how to fashion the teachings in a way that match where the student comes from. Human came from a time of great political upheaval, much greater than ours, as much as ours is going on. This is between um, the mid-800s. And the central government of China was prosecuting uh, Buddhism, which was the major, one of the major religions of the time. Um, several hundred thousand monastics were defrocked and secularized, and thousands of monasteries uh, were closed and destroyed. And Zen teachers fled up into the mountains of China. And remember, we're talking about 850. And out of that came a, 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 you know, a really powerful basic form of teaching uh, that came out of this prosecution and you know, a rebirth, really, in a new way. Very non-intellectual. And the teachers, teachings of Yuman came out of that. And his teachings were described of in this way. His teachings penetrate, his responses penetrate heaven and earth. There's no limit to what he's, to, to the specific thing he's saying is unlimited. There's no boundary to it. They follow the waves and adapt to the currents. In other words, they're completely present with the circumstances that are going on. The monastic visiting, where have you come from? It's obvious in this column. And they cut through all streams of delusion, go right to it. And so, if you open your mouth to explain, you're far, far away. If you act out something, you fall into a pit of imitation, acting. Words and gestures are not the teachings of Zen anymore than the forefinger is the, is the moon or the smoke is the fire. And yet we don't ignore words and gestures. So you might be tempted to believe that the answer to a koan, to realizing yourself, lies within words or a set response. And also maybe they're just different ways of understanding it. Sorry. You either see it or you don't see it. I'm also recording, recalling another story of a visiting monastic. I think he was from Japan. I'm not 100% sure of that. Who... Um, hit a tape recorder in the Doksan room so he could hear the answers to the koans that Daido Roshi worked with the students. And it's, it's really pathetic. Um, and along with that, there, there was a book that was published, and I just read it was being republished, Answers to Koans, 100 Answers to Koans. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty funny because... Uh, it's, in a way, it's hard to explain. There are no answers to koans. It's not about the answer. It's about the realization of the student <laughs> and how that manifests is unique to the student. And there, and there are specific koans that demand specific insights 
which can only be responded to in a particular way. But there are many more koans in which the response is limitless and yet very clear if it's seeing into the koan or not. So good luck on uh, recording Doksan's. Uh, Daito found the recorder, of course, and <laughs> I don't know what happened then, and I don't want to know what happened. <laughs> so Uman said, what words does Cezanne say lately? What is this teaching? And the monastic stretched out his arms. Do you think this reaches it or not? Might seem to, but it also might be imitation. Or the monastic's go-to answer. <laughs> Again, when I was training with Dido, I, like all students, had my go-to answers, my way of responding to testing questions that showed insight, or so I thought. And once he said to me, I'm getting tired of your same responses every time I ask you a question. (laughs) I'm going to close my eyes and see if you can respond directly without me seeing you. He's not asking for an explanation here. He's taking away what I knew. And that's an ongoing process in practice. It's an ongoing process that we encounter every time we sit and do zazen and see a thought take us away from the awareness of our breath. Let me acknowledge it takes a long time before we even have any awareness of our breaths. That has to be cultivated. You know, you sit down and you're already in la-la land. You didn't get to one, let alone two. But you do cultivate that. And you cultivate it every time you see the thought and you let it go. And you come back to your breath and one. And that's not just the practice. That's the mind awakening. That's you awakening and doing that. The awakening and the practice are a singularity. And there is awakening and there is practice. Both those things are true. So the monastic stretched out his arms. And Uman hit him. He slapped him. And the monastic said, I had something to say about it. What do you do with this when you get slapped like that? What would you do with it? Let go of any cultural associations you may have, individually have about being hit or slapped. Or, you know, place yourself in, in the monastic's clothing. Place yourself there before Uman, which is at the heart seeing into a koan, actually putting yourself there. You know, in that time and place, Zen masters used a slap or a hit with their staff to teach. You know, we do the same thing. I have a bell next to me. I pick up that bell and I ring it when I want to make a point to the student. This interview's over. You have not seen it. Work on it some more. Ring. The ring comes first. And it's over. It is over. There's no, nothing after that. And it's trusting the student. It's empowering the student. It's saying, you can see this. This is not rejection. This is support. You can see this for yourself. I know you can see this for yourself. Because not only me, but thousands and thousands of women and men before us have seen it. That's what that service is about, and this service is about. Of all our ancestors in the Dharma who've seen it and offered it so that we could be here today to see it and offer it for ourselves. 
that's what it's about. The monastic said after he got hit, I had something to say about it. A few weeks ago, Zenju Earthlin Manual Sensei, uh, a, a teacher, a, gave a, a, an offering at Zen Mountain Monastery, and she described her journey of practice to a present, to the present time. And it was quite a journey. She's a woman of color, uh, and went through a lot uh, in her practice. And, you know, in listening to her talk on on Sunday, which is online, and I would urge you to listen to it, she, she, at some point in her life, I mean, where her journey started was when she realized, and this obviously goes back some time, that she was getting her awareness of herself and the, the world around her from Tom Brokaw in the TV news. That, that's where her information about herself and the reality she was living in was coming from. She said, what the hell? What is this? This is how I create myself? I mean, I'm changing the language a bit. And she realized she couldn't do that any longer. As a person, as a woman, as a person of color, she couldn't live that life anymore. And, and that conclusion, and again, these are my words describing her talk, her journey, um, was definitive. She was done with that. End of story. And that left her in a terrible place. <laughs> she was educated. She was a professor. She, I think she had a PhD or maybe several of them. Um, I mean, she had a whole life constructed on this, on, on these buildings she had built to construct herself. And she realized it wasn't real for her anymore. And with that came an absolute determination to be free. To, to do whatever she had to do to be free and to live her true life. And that the, the boundaries that encapsulated her of society, of karma, of the institutionalization of education and the society uh, that exists and the rhetoric that exists to encourage us to perpetuate our, this sense of, of who we are couldn't hold her anymore. But where do you go? What do you do from that? And, and she articulates that, that place that she was in. with It's an agonizing place for some people to, to realize that your life does not reflect who you truly are and who you want to be, and yet don't know where to go, what to do. You know, okay, so what? What do I do now? Um, and it's not like that for everybody. And everybody has their own path. And this is not an argument that you should walk away from your job, relationship, etc., etc. But open your eyes. Open your eyes. And that led her to spiritual practice. And through a long journey, it led her to Zen practice. And to uh, investigate for herself directly what she had to do and how she had to live it was not an easy journey. There are no easy journeys. There are no journeys on the road to being your true self that are easy. There's no free rides in this business. None. The karma of what we've constructed is powerful and large. And if you want to live a truly compassionate life, you're going to have to work your butt off to... 
be present with your own mind that is deeply conditioned and that will automatically, whenever there's any subtle sense of threat, run and hide in the innumerable ways that we as human beings can. She discovered what Uman was saying when Uman asked, separate from this koan, come on, pose me a question outside the Buddha Dharma. Pose me a question outside the Buddha Dharma. I offer it to you. Pose me a question outside the Buddha Dharma. Uman said, even one question is too much, meaning you can't find that question. Where's the boundaries of the Buddha Dharma? So in that vein, Uman slapped him. And the monastic said, I had something to say about it. Don't we always have something to say about it? Insight has to be real insight. It has to stand within your life clearly and not fall into subjectivity, not fall into relationship with our delusions, and yet be responsive to the specifics of our subjective life. There is a subjective life. We have to respond to that, and we have to be awake. And it's also sometimes reasonable to respond in Dyson with an explanation. Sometimes the teacher is asking to explain you to explain something to see if you actually intellectually understand it. But that's not enough. That's not enough. And so when the student gives a, an answer, even a good answer, that captures the question, and the teacher is silent, almost always there comes an explanation. You know, you the student can't quite trust it. They're wiggling in their underpants, you know? And, and that's their understanding of their understanding. It's so difficult to trust our true understanding without injecting ourself into it, without injecting our insecurity into it, without injecting a desire to appear a certain way. And yet at the same time, this is the process of learning to trust ourselves. So in this work, we're learning to trust all of ourselves. The approval we get from a teacher, the disapproval we seem to get from a teacher, none of which is happening except in our own mind. If the teacher helps too much, the student depends on that authority. If the student isn't supportive, if the, if the student isn't supported enough, then they may not have enough confidence to trust the teachings. So that's the relationship. That's, that's how it has to be. And ultimately, the teacher's job is to free the student from the influence of the teacher. Yuman said regarding this, you must neither fall for the tricks of others nor simply accept their directives. The instant you see an old teacher open their mouth you tend to stuff those big rocks right into yours, and, when you, and you, you cluster in little groups to discuss their words, the teacher's words. You're exactly like those little green flies on shit that struggle back and forth to gobble it up. What a shame. How's that for a metaphor? I mean, that captures you, right? <laughs> Nevertheless, the monastic has been right there with Uman, not backing down. He's been present. He's been right there, right up until the time he explains. He says he wants to explain. And what does Uman do? 
what would you have done? Do you have something to add to what Umans did? Something to explain? Something to understand? There's no winning or losing in these koans. They may be seeing into your self-nature, or not. Or perhaps, when the student's insight ripens, sometime later, days, months, years, that exchange may bear fruit, and the student may awaken. That happens all the time. I've recounted some of the teachings that Daito Roshi offered me. Many of his teachings I didn't understand at the time. Later on, they blossomed within me. So when the entirety of the universe is presented, where do you find yourself? What would you do? The monastic remained silent. You have to see into this silence. It's not a realized response. And trust me, when you're there in that situation, you can see what the response is, where it's coming from. So then Uman, Uman hit him with a stick. Why? Was it punishment? Was it a teaching? If you can clearly see into this question, you are seeing with Uman's eyes, hitting with his stick. Although there may have been a rebuke in the hit, there is also an encouragement, a direct pointing to the heart of our intimacy with our life. This is not a casual hit doesn't rest in punishment, doesn't rest in wrong, although some of that is there. So I have to confess, I feel kind of loaded a heavy burden on on you. This is a subtle koan with different perspectives. And for those of you particularly who are new, um, I hope some of the energy and the insight of Uman's teaching comes through. But for all of us, he's a tremendous inspiration for me personally in his directness and a tremendous encouragement that every one of us can realize that there are many, many, many Uman stories and koans, which (laughs) this is not the time or place, but I think you get the directness of his teaching and the encouragement. So as always, this is yours. As your life is yours, your practice is yours. Our doors are open. We sit every morning and every evening, Tuesday through Saturday. We're here Sunday. The practice is here for you. We're not here for us. We're here for you. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.